Welcome, mesdames et messieurs, to the Danger Room, the Uncanny X-Men podcast for the podcast people. Je m'appelle Adam. My name is Jeremy. We're here to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 214, February 1987 issue, on sale November 11th, 1986, cover price 75 cents. This was titled, With Malice Toward all. Interestingly enough, this is the last issue in the Mutant Massacre trade paperback. Yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I mean, well, this this has a tie-in of sorts that we'll get to of the Mutant Massacre, but it's definitely not Mutant Massacre proper. Technically, I don't know why they couldn't include the next few issues in the Mutant Massacre collection. As, as far as I know, those next few issues are not collected. Uh, the next and, 10 uh, issues are not collected. You could throw a few of those in here because they, they they follow. They they feature marauders. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and storylines that are started, uh, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, actually, yeah, storylines that are started in this book continue on to that. But obviously, uh, Marvel wanted to extend their trade paperback profitability or something. I don't know. I would have ended it. I would have I would have chopped this one out and done a, maybe another trade paperback starting with this one. Uh, yeah, there's enough content for a trade paperback to fall between this and fall of the mutants but sadly there it doesn't exist it's not collected i might even chop out 213 but it 213 has a nice bookend feel to it yeah so maybe i'd leave that one in anyhow uh it's a good cover i believe this is a uh, bws cover i believe you were correct uh blue very blue background but it's a it's it's a very uh punkadelic uh storm with her her um, mohawk a flowing, she's holding back a uh, very well endowed dazzler who has that choker on the malice choker. Yes, and the background is very blue. Now inside the comic, I feel like I feel like Barry Windsor Smith was maybe handed this issue at the eleventh hour because I don't feel like this is his strongest work. Well, you know what's different is he is not inking himself. Ah, you got uh, Bob Wiasek inking. That's yeah. that's good. That's a that could be a huge difference there. I think so. But uh, so you felt the same way, not not as strong of art as you're accustomed to. Certainly no 205 or uh, life death. Yeah, no, it definitely doesn't feel that. Um I'm I'm wondering if maybe he had more to do with the coloring in those ones as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. Probably, this is, probably. This is very comic book colory, whereas his his usually have more earthy tones to them. Well, and, and more dynamic tones. Like when you open this up, you see Lila Shanae. Her her whole outfit is one shade of red. You still say Lila Shanae, huh? I'm sorry, Lila Cheney. Damn it! I'll no, get... no, no. You say what you got to say. Uh, I it... do not want to hold you back. Dazzler is in the back. She's got her black wig on. Um, she has a pink, solid pink jacket and a solid purple uh, pair of pants on. So, you know, if, if Barry Windsor Smith was coloring or in charge of the coloring, I think you would have seen multiple hues in all of these outfits. But yes, very solid. There's probably eight total colors on this page. You know, it's a standard comic book yeah. color array. And that's not potentially his fault. I mean, it was Glynis Oliver coloring, so... Glennis, come on. Seriously. That being said, the backgrounds in most of the panels of this issue are sparse. Not okay, yeah, sparse. that's interesting too. Does he usually have sparse backgrounds? I, I I don't know that I've ever noticed. I don't. Yeah, and maybe that's the thing is that uh, everything else is so dynamic that when there is uh, a stark background, you just don't notice. Uh, or I don't know. I, I I go back to that two hundred five issue in which there's like snow and crap all over the place. But that's all in the foreground. True, true but it, it would obfuscate a blank background. Yeah. And you, you couldn't really do a strong background, a strong mid, and a strong foreground. That You just end up with like a jumbled mess. This first page is a, has a pretty uh, decent background. It does. It does. They're on stage. Uh, Lila Cheney is uh, performing. And uh, Dazzler has become part of her backup band. She's on the keys and melody vocals. The captions say, For three hours at Denver's famed Raven Theater, Lila Cheney's been singing her heart out. Three hours? Holy mackerel. Who does she think she is? Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> 
And uh, so as they play, you know, the crowd's crazy. They love what they're hearing. And Malice shows up in a reflection behind Dazzler and tempts her to, to take center stage. She's more talented. She's better. She wants it. That's what she's always wanted. Take it. What are you, afraid? It isn't fair. All I wanted was to, to sing, to make people happy, to be loved. Is that so wrong? Is that so much to ask? And that's when she switches to lead vocals and, I don't know, she basically takes over the concert. Her dazzle powers go into full effect. She's doing a light show. She's singing. She's playing. And the audience goes even more crazy. So she's got she's got a microphone right next to her head as she's talking to Malice. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if anybody hears that. <laughs> Whole audience is like, what's going on up there? Oh, who cares? It rocks. <laughs> The the crowd cheers Allie as long and as loudly as they did for Lila. So is that like is this like a three hour solo? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's it's the same song. It was a, originally a six minute song, but Allison is so good. She just keeps singing the same verse over and over and over she's and just, over and over. She's and like over. wailing. <laughs> mm-hmm. People are really into it. Yeah, they're they're intoxicated by her. Her dazzler. Looks like the rest of the band has stopped playing at this point. That's what I'm saying, right? She's like on the keys and vocals and her light show all by herself, and the audience doesn't care. They're still like, oh my God, she's amazing. So after the show, she's kind of coming down from the high. She's she's kind of still glowing with her with her dazzle power. And Lila's like, Don't do that again or you're fired. <laughs> Basically. You think those people out there are blind or stupid or what? If one of them connects that light show with Dazzler, your cover's blown. And Dazzler's not falling for Dazzler malice. She's like, could it be that you're worried about yourself uh, now that I'm starting to emerge from my shell? Because you know I'm better than you. She says, are you scared of the competition? But does do Dazzler and Lila Cheney make the same type of music? Are they even like in the same charts? I feel like Dazzler's pop. Yeah. And Lila Cheney's punk. They're not even in competition. I agree. But Chris Claremont doesn't. And he's the one that's writing this. Chris Claremont does not get music. <laughs> and Dazzler seems to quit the band, but I don't think so. She says, I'm through settling for crumbs and for playing second best. Enjoy the top spot, Lila, because in no time at all, I'm taking it away from you. Well, due to the events of this next several issues, it's fair to say that she has quit the band. I thought, yeah, okay. I have to keep our eye open on what happens next. Yeah, yeah it's you're, an you're open right. door policy, you're right. You're right. so you're right. You're right. She, she may come back later. Sure. Meanwhile, at the mansion, uh, Cerebro's been destroyed due to Sabretooth and his attack. And they got uh, Storms pulling all the resources she can. Uh, she asks Rogue for help. Not Magneto, who, who we'll find out is just kind of roaming the halls looking for his <laughs> new mutants. They don't ask him. The guy that supposedly helped Professor Xavier build Cerebro to, to look at just the Ask Rogue. You know what my biggest beef with the, the, the mutant massacre is? What? Why, if they had just brought Magneto into the sewers, you know, if, if Storm has anything to feel guilty about, it's that decision. Mm-hmm. You got to stay behind Magneto. We can't have such a powerful mutant who could actually help us come down. Yep. So... So bad leadership storm, <laughs> bad storm. It's a good thing you felt bad a couple issues back because you should have. <laughs> and Rogue is like, yep, I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> and you know, the only reason that they got Rogue looking at it is because Nightcrawler's in the infirmary and Kitty's in a tube. Yeah, Kitty would really be the one to be repairing this. Yeah. I don't, why didn't they get Kitty out of the tube to like... Well, I guess she can't speak. They're they're afraid she's going to discorporate. I mean, they could use Psylocke to communicate with her. Yeah. How I mean, come Psylocke isn't reaching into Kitty's like uh, brain and showing her what's going on? And... Or or they could bring the tube up to the Cerebro, and then Psylocke could communicate between... Kitty could be like, oh, yeah, yeah, look over there. But, I mean, you look at this yeah. thing, and it's smashed into like a million pieces. So, yeah... Looking at it, it's like, okay, I think all these pieces on the floor are the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, uh, there's a little uh, self-doubt from Psylocke because she was taken advantage of by Sabretooth. But everybody else is kind of like, it's Sabretooth. It's pretty powerful. You held your own. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess this is just continuing last issue's Psylocke berating herself. Honestly, I feel like they're just filling pages. (laughs) It's it's just kind of feel like a filler, Yeah, this page. 
So Rogue heads out to do some reconnaissance and uh, more filler here. Psylocke senses that Callisto and Wolverine are in the danger room. This isn't bad filler, but it's just like it's kind of unnecessary for story progression. But Callisto and Wolverine are in the danger room and the safety mechanisms have been turned off and they could really get hurt and Psylocke's concerned. But Storm's like, don't worry about it. They know what they're doing. I guess there's another thing I don't like about the Mutant Massacre is like for the past three to four issues, they've been expecting the Marauders to show up. And granted, Sabretooth did show up last issue episode, um, but it, it just doesn't seem to have that payoff and, and it never does. Yeah. I mean, they change the course of what, what goes on, which I, I like. I like it once they actually start doing something. But there's been so much sitting around being worried for the past few issues. And the next the next round of issues or so are going to be more of that and preparations for the Marauders. But yes, it's kind of a slow burn, that's for sure. Yeah. So, for reasons, uh, Callisto and Wolverine are uh, fighting. Not not angrily, they're training, uh, if anything else. Um, well, Bet- Betsy says, they're fighting for real, they aren't holding back. And really what it's... Did we, what did we determine Betsy was? They're fighting for real. No, that's that's destiny. <laughs> Hello. Uh, they're fighting for Hello. real. They're fighting for real. I'm just. You might as well just go with Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it works. I'm sticking with it. All right. All right. Sounds good. We have to stop their duel before someone gets hurt. <laughs> all right. I'm good with that. Not quite as prim and proper as I would put her, but but it works. <laughs> Defy expectations. Yeah, so uh, the, the the short of the long here is that Callisto really would like um, revenge for her fallen comrades. Yeah, she she wants to uh, she wants to hunt down the Marauders. Yep. And meanwhile, it's or, all right. It's a conversation. You yeah, know, it's it's fine. It's it's, it's always good. Two to... old warriors just practicing their skills and venting a little bit to each other. Although Wolverine's not really venting too much. He's just kind of egging people on this issue. If Wolverine and Callisto are your favorite characters, you're going to love these two pages. The next page, not so much, though. I, it's it's a little weird. I mean, And this is the first bit of weirdness, in my opinion, of two. Uh, but they're upstairs. Wolverine's up there with his shirt on, just kind of open with his chest hair hanging out, talking to Betsy. And he looks at Betsy and he's like, you on edge, Bets? And he pulls out his claws and puts him in her face and she's a bit why I and she she's like are you mad Wolverine I'm a psychoblaster whatever that means <laughs> I don't know but it's awesome I'm a psychoblaster I want a t-shirt that says I'm a psychoblaster wasn't that a song by the talking heads uh, psycho sure. blaster Cascus oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh no is that not how it went um close enough I'm not, I'm not going to say that that's ever going to stick with me again, but maybe it will. <laughs> uh, first thing I thought of when I saw the word psychoblaster, because I don't think she ever refers to herself as psychoblaster ever again. She should. <laughs> she should change her name from Psylocke to psychoblaster. <laughs> I think so. Psychoblaster. Her focused telepathic force projection could have disrupted his brain and killed him. And Wolverine really is just like, just want, like, Sabretooth got the, even though I accepted you last issue, I just want to make sure that you knew that Sabretooth nailed you. And I don't want you caught off guard again, because for some reason I'm a jerk this issue. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) (laughs) Just playing. Yeah. And it's 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 the turn it's this whole like everything is dark now turning point. We got to be on edge at all times. We got to be ready. Oh, everything's so dangerous. Ah. I just feel like last issue uh well the issue before that was Wolverine being like I don't trust you. I don't like you. I don't know you. And then last issue, when she held herself against Sabretooth, he's like, you know, kid, you're all right. You got Moxie. You can be an X-Man. And then this issue, he's like, test. I I feel like this is the beginning of a new arc. I guess. So they they, they can get away with it because because it flows with the next couple of issues. But yeah, it, it does come weird right off the back of the past issue. So, phone rings. Lila has called Xavier's uh, because she is worried about Dazzler. And that's when we flip over to Dallas the next day. J-Rome's. Apparently, Dazzler has connections because she's able to book a club gig on like a day's notice. Is this a gig or is she just dancing? That's a good question. I always assumed she was just dancing on the dance floor and, you know, feeding off the crowd, doing all her dazzle magic. Yeah, Here's I, where you get your your most uh, Barry Windsor Smithiest is with all of uh, Dazzler's light show. I think you're right. I think she's 
out of control, and I think she's on the dance floor of a of a private club, like an exclusive private club. But she's not singing, she's not performing. She's just she's just dancing, and everybody at this exclusive club are just eating up the novelty of. I think they all know she's a mutant, right? Well, they gotta. I mean, look at the light show. Yeah. Very nasty, says Wolverine. Whole place is on edge, ready to explode. And you know what I do when something's on edge, Betsy, right? I pop my claws. Right in your face. Are you ready? Sabretooth got the drop on you. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Blair's the cause. The light show is intensifying the crowd's negative emotional state. Hello. <laughs> uh, and so Dazzler notices the X-Men and she's like, oh, I was wondering, or I was beginning to fear you would never show. And she dazzle blasts the four of them. So whatever Dazzler's doing, she's also uh, making the crowd super violent somehow. <sighs> Hypnos- hypnosis. It's her new dazzle blast power. Sure. Dazzle blast. Dazzle Blast! Because earlier in the dialogues, it doesn't say anything. I don't know. It says that everyone's having a wild night. Uh, the wilder the night, the better they like it. The witching hour, they're in seventh heaven. So sounds to me like everyone's having a really good time. I don't know why the X-Men well, come in says, like... Her light show is intensifying the crowd's negative emotional state to an almost psychotic extent. The thought patterns are so primarily violent, I dare not lower my size shields. I don't know how a light show would do that. Yeah. So, Dazzle Blast! Sure. Let's go with it. It's a filler issue. Uh, Wolvie's down. Uh, Storm can't see. Rogue might have blinked or something. And uh, Betsy thinks about her bionic eyes. Oh, I can... I have bionic eyes that are automatically adjusting for the... Ah, I just got shot. (laughs) (laughs) Solid light beam, Rogue. Concentrated photons. Focused to their ultimate extent. Uh, Is that a a new Dazzler power or has that always been there? You're the Dazzler expert on the show. Oh, God. I forgot all about how Dazzler's powers work. But I do know that going forward, she will have concentrated light beams that she shoots from her fingers. Okay. Solid light beams. Yep. Solid light. (laughs) All righty. I saved you for last, sugar, because we're an old score to settle. Remember not so long ago before you joined the X-Men when you tried to kill me? Do you remember that? I remember that. I never forgot, never forgave, and what I've wanted more than pretty near anything is to pay you back in kind. And she fires a laser bolt, which is, I guess, another of Dazzler's powers. Focus light. Focus solid <laughs> Laser <light>. bolt. <laughs> Dazzler's dress is shredded, but she hasn't really been attacked yet. Not sure. I guess she danced it to shreds. Danced her dress to shreds, yep. Rogue's Rogue's outfit is also shredded. Uh, She comments on, and she's fight kind of ensues. Rogue rips up the floor to block more laser bolts. When Storm grabs her from behind, a la the cover of this comic. Yeah. And... That's when the entity known as Malice jumps from Dazzler's body over to Wolverine's body. So I guess when this uh, psychic transfer happens, the physical choker also teleports from one neck to the next neck. Because now Wolverine's got it on. I go where I can have the most fun and do the most harm. Blondie wants a scrap. I'll give her one she'll never forget. And uh, Allison wakes up. X-Men? Where am I? What's happening? She uses some focused light beams that come out of her eyes. <laughs> so now she's Cyclops. To shoot Wolverine down. And Zark. Storm is not quite sure or convinced of what's going on. So she punches Dazzler out. She's like, well, we better not take any chances. Wolverine's down. I'm going to knock this chick out. Multiple thought patterns converging on this club. The police, says Betsy. I think Wolvie's just stunned. Wonder what made him go crazy. What's this round his neck? Um, Next few panels are kind of Barry Windsor Smith-esque as it's raining outside now. Also could be contributed to Storm's agitated um, uh, feelings right now. That's true. Could be. Um, We get some side characters that don't really matter. Basically, the club owner is a sleazebag and the cop seems like a good guy, but he doesn't believe that mutants exist. So this cop guy, we'll have to keep our eye on because they make him into somebody by the end of the episode, but I don't really remember how it pays off or if it pays off yeah i don't i don't think it does so the cop guy is a guy for now i don't know that he has a name but he definitely does not like muties he's he's captain (laughs) okay and so we rejoin the x-men psylocke's at wolverine's side when he looks over at rogue or when she looks over at rogue and is like hey you're not rogue prove it sweets and then do something about it if you can and rogue takes off somehow kicking wolverine in the face on the way out and 
flies out the window. Hi, guys. My, I'm Rogue. Want a party? So these are all of the police officers and reporters and spectators that are outside. I can't be good. Inside, uh, the rest of the X-Men and Dazzler uh, come to uh, their senses. Uh, Psylocke has been able to deduce that what's happening is that a psychic entity named Malice, who is affiliated with the Marauders, uh, has the ability to possess people. It has em- It's empathic in nature, keying off the emotional centers of its host's brain. Since most psychic shields are concentrated around the rational mind, Malice's assault effectively bypasses them, rendering them impotent blah 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 <laughs> i don't know at least we kind of get some little definition of what malice is she heightens your bad emotions yep it evidently thrives on violence and our victim's only clue is that they wear a choker you are a telepath psylocke can you deal with malice and she's like nope it's in rogue and rogue's a hard nut to crack even when she's cooperating for me to act effectively we must shift malice into a more accessible vessel so they figure well storm how about you? Uh, Storm volunteers herself because she doesn't want it to be Dazzler because um, Psylocke's got to get into this person's brain and she knows Storm's brain better than Dazzler. So it all works out. Wolverine threatens to kill somebody. Yep. I shall be the bait. And if the plan fails, Wolverine says, don't worry, darling. Malice won't go away as he pops his claws. Is anybody on edge? <laughs> How about you, Dazzler? Sabretooth got the drop on you. And so Rogue outside is standing over a flipped car, so she's been outside, uh, I assume, just wreaking various havocs on public property, saying, Hey, y'all, I'm Rogue. I'm, my name's Rogue, and I'm part of the X-Men. The name ain't Rouge, it's Rogue. I don't know why she says that. I wonder if that's like a like a... Like a comment to the letters, people. So when I first started reading X-Men, I didn't know how to pronounce Rogue. <laughs> We've talked about that before. You think that just like Chris Claremont was getting all these letters. I really love Rouge. Rouge is my favorite. And finally, he was just like, I got to say something. It's Rogue. Her name is Rogue. She has no first name. She has no last name. It's just Rogue. I belong to an outfit called the X-Men. Not X-Factor. The X-Men. He doesn't say that last part. (laughs) Not the Marauders. Dazzler comes out and she comes out uh, with her light show to get her uh, uh, attention. And Rogue goes in for the attack. The art here is starting to get loose. I mean, I guess guess it's supposed to be because it's all just lights and stuff. But it, it feels less effective than a Barry Windsor Smith normally would. I feel, I feel like he's getting a little tired. Well, and Bob Weasek's not really helping. <laughs> uh, so then the next page is heavily inked. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe they just messed up on that page. Uh, some sort of trickery happens that I'm not really able to discern from these images, but Rogue comes in. Uh, I know what happens. Uh, she's coming for Dazzler, and Psylocke uses her powers to paralyze her temporarily so that she goes flipping into Wolverine. But as she's slipping into Wolverine, Malice jumps out and jumps into Storm. I don't think that's what happens, but... You don't? No, I think what happens is that Dazzler has eye beams and shoots Rogue in the eyes, which knocks Rogue unconscious or, or paralyzed, and she falls down, and then Malice, realizing that she's unconscious, leaves her, and then we get a close up of Psych. Uh, Psylocke saying, she's leaving the body. Be ready. So I think you're right, even though neither one of those descriptions makes any sense. (laughs) But I think you're right. So, yeah, and she's like, I can't wait to taste what the boss lady uh, tastes like, even though she doesn't have her powers. I know she's strong. She's a force of nature, a, a goddess born to rule. And then it looks like Psylocke doesn't even really help her. But I I'm, I have to imagine that she's she is helping her because that was the plan, right? That was the plan. Um, there's no, like, power signature. And, in fact, uh, Dazzler goes in to help, but Psylocke's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. This is Storm's battle if we interfere. We'll do far more harm than good. And so I want to say that Psylocke maybe got Storm ready. Could be, like, like, mentally okay, prepared here's for Here's what you're going to do. You're going to think about a cloud, and then you're going to imagine that cloud is a poodle. And then once you've transformed the cloud into a poodle, 
I want you to get the poodle to lick a glass of water. <laughs> yes, go to your happy spot. And so Storm does what Storm would do, right? She is able to overcome Malice's possession uh, in a dramatic three-page sequence where she reaches, reaches up for the choker and rips it off her neck, I guess breaking the Malice spell. The shadow side of myself, our darker nature, is what sustains you and gives you power over us. But it also makes me the leader of the X-Men. So there, I win. You could not tempt me with what I already possess. I don't fully grasp Malice's powers, so I'm just going to be like, okay. I think she crushes the choker with her hand. The choker, it would appear, disappears. Um, Ah, sure. Okay, I'll go with that. Makes more sense. Yeah, I don't know. And some reporter outside is like, oh, this havoc that just happened, it's the X-Men. Dazzler's like, no, it wasn't you, it was me. I'm going to go turn myself in. And Storm's like, nah, what good's that going to be? Or do. Yeah, the terrible decision making by Storm here. Like, yeah, Dazzler, try it. <laughs> Why not? No, Storm's protecting her flock. Plus, she knows her number's dwindling, which leads her to being like, man, Marauders, mutants with a bad name. You should probably join the X Men. <laughs> Dazzler's like, um, all right, I guess. Never really wanted to, but I, I will. And then Wolverine's like, I smell something funny. And he grabs Storm by the hair and he's getting ready to claw her in the face as he pulls her to the ground. And Storm says, Wolverine! Rogue's like, it's Malice, he's possessed him again. And Wolverine's like, the blazes, it's red, it's her, she's the one. Which, okay, a couple of problems with this. First problem is, uh, we just saw Storm kind of battle off Malice, so don't you think before Wolverine flies off the handle, he would be like, "Uh, Storm, you're going to do your thing? Oh, you're not going to do your thing? Okay, then I'm going to come in and help, rather than doing the surprise attack. And the second thing is this just seems like the second kind of jerk move out of Wolverine this issue. Well, okay. Um, First of all, great panel where he grabs her by the hair and pops his claws. Look. And maybe that's what happened. Maybe he drew this panel. Is like, oh man, this is great. I got to work this in somehow because you're right. It is a great panel, but it just it's not. I don't, I don't know. And then the next few panels kind of explain that Wolverine's senses somehow confused him. They told him that Storm was Malice again, and that's why he attacked. He thought he'd get the jump on Malice, but his senses he quickly realizes led him astray. And now he feels like a moron. And this this will go on for the next few issues. It's an important point. I don't... Um, okay, uh, I will agree that his senses will cause him to do berserker-y things, but this is his senses misleading him in the future. This, well, this is this is the first time we've ever seen his senses mislead him, sort of. Right. Um, and, and this, like, like I said, he will he will deal with the repercussions of this through the next few issues. Yeah. True. So I, th- I think it's just another setup for the next few issues. I feel like, okay, I feel like you're right. It is a setup for the next few issues, but I feel like they also kind of change direction because it seems like maybe they want to set up a Wolverine can't trust his senses type deal. Yeah, maybe. And they abandon that for just Wolverine is unable to handle his senses. Spoilers, sort of. Anyways, whatever, moving on. It just feels out of context and maybe they just needed a page to fill. So they're like, well, let's have Wolverine go berserk for a page. <laughs> Uh, it's it is never really explained. I don't I don't know why Wolverine loses his like it would be nice if if so we get Malice on top of the building watching them at the end. It would be nice if when Malice is there, she was like, "Hi, I temporarily possessed Wolverine's senses or something." Yeah, that would have been. Or I, I temper I temporarily triggered Wolverine's senses. <laughs> yeah, just as I suspected he would or something, but. Psylocke confirms that there is no trace of malice here. She's she's gone. Uh, and then there's kind of a, a moment of distrust for like, all right, so you say that none of us are malice, but how do we know you're not malice, is what Dazzler says. Right. Uh, Psylocke does explain Wolverine's thing. She says, you misunderstood Storm's own strength of command for malice's influence. So for some reason, Wolverine thought Storm's strength of command, oh. which she's... She's always had was Malice's influence because, as they pointed in the, the previous page, Malice was using the very same thing that Storm. It, it makes Storm the leader of the X Men. Sure, sure, okay. I kind. It's a little fuzzy, but it's I get it. It's not very clear. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll buy it's, it. I. I mean, I still don't think it makes much sense. <laughs> 
Rogue says, uh, maybe some things Daz have to be taken on faith. Dazzler says that's a lot to ask. If we can't trust ourselves anymore, then the time's come to pack the things up and go our separate ways. Because in all the ways that really matter, the X-Men are through. Not yet, Wolverine. Not without a fight. And that's when... I'm jumping to conclusions. (laughs) From the shadows above a building, that cop that hates muties named Captain is looking down upon the X-Men, and he's wearing a malice uh, choker, and he says, face facts, Storm, you've lost, I've won. Whatever that means. The X-Men are uh, doubting themselves. Uh, this is, I don't know, it's 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 forced, but it's, yeah. you got to step back and see where the whole big picture is going. It's basically setting up the next few issues, basically. Uh, I don't really feel like this distrust storyline goes anywhere, though. It goes into the next issue. Beyond that, I can't tell you. So... There you go. That's the uh, that's the end of the Mutant Massacre trade paperback. Which ended a few issues ago. <laughs> yeah. We got some fan mail. Uh, we got a letter from Greg Fairholm. It says, hi, guys. I'm listening to the most recent episode of The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast, and heard your confusion on Thor's secret identity. I may have some of, the, some of it wrong, but originally Odin turned him into Donald Blake and wiped away his memory of being Thor. When Donald found the walking stick, he could turn back and forth into Thor. If Thor was separated from the hammer, he turned back to Donald. That was standard in the comic until Walt Simonson changed it a year or two later before the mutant massacre. Basically, he proved to Odin to be worthy, and Odin switched the spell over to Beta Ray Bill so Bill could look humanish on occasion. Thor needed a new secret identity, and Nick Fury arranged Sigurd Jarlson, and it lasted about three issues. It's a footnote in Thor's history. And once again, love, love, love when a mini G.I. Joe podcast pops up in your X-Men podcast. Warm fuzzies all over. Keep up the good work. I have to say you've got it wrong. It's actually a G.I. Joe podcast that is dominated by the X-Men. Yeah, there's only so much G.I. Joe material to cover. Speaking of which, uh, I was in a meeting today and somebody in there, one of our kind of technical account manager guys, he said he, he finished a sentence off by saying, knowing is half the battle. And I, <laughs> I looked around the room. Everyone's younger than me, sadly. And uh, nobody nobody did anything. So then uh, back at my office with my office mate, I was like, hey, man, knowing's half the battle, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I guess. I was like, like you're not that much <laughs> younger than me. Like G.I. Joe, you know, oh, yeah, I watched a couple of those. And then I was like, who watched just a couple of G.I. Joes? <laughs> you didn't go. <laughs> I kind of. Well, then I like went to YouTube promptly and I found a knowing is the half of the battle where <laughs> Alpine helped a little boy find his brother at a carnival when he got lost. And that guy had never seen that, huh? He was just he was just quoting. He thought he was making something up. No, no, no. The other guy, I'm sure the other guy knew exactly what he was saying. But the guy that I oh, went okay. back to my office with, he's like, and then when I showed him that little PSA, he's like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. I'm like, you kind of remember that. <laughs> That's my childhood you're talking about. And I thought it's everybody. He's like, well, that show is really old. I'm like, it's not that old. I mean, it's like it's from the 80s, so it is pretty old. But I'm like, it, you know, it. There was a hundred episodes that ran between 85 and 86, and even if you missed it in your first run, it was syndicated forever. And then they released like new Joes in like I don't know. I was reading up on it today. It was like 89 to 94 or something like that. It's I mean, got that, to get tough, yo, Joe. Yeah, there was that. I didn't really watch that series much, but I didn't either. Either way, <laughs> like you had to be familiar with GI Joe growing up. I mean, no, Jeremy, see, that's what you don't understand is that people grow up in different ways and. Some people don't have the joy and luxury of G.I. Joe in their lives. And oh it's it's sad, but... Speaking of which, sorry to cut you off, but I did finally watch The Toys That Made Us. And the entire episode for G.I. Joe, I was waiting for Larry Hama to show up. And I realized that his name is Larry Hama because that's what he says his name is. <laughs> <laughs> Not Larry Hama. I've been wrong all these years. But anyways, uh, I'm like the entire episode, like Larry Hama's got, or Hama's got to make a, uh, an appearance at some point, right? And midway through the episode, he does. And I was very happy about that. Yeah, yeah. He was definitely there. And the guy said, boy, that guy was really depressing. <laughs> yep. So, all right, there you go. That's that's your little mini G.I. Joe episode. Yes. Thanks for the Thor knowledge. <laughs> Dropping some Thor knowledge on us, Greg. And uh, it's it's kind of neat, I guess, that this cigar Jarlson that only lasted three issues we talked about a lot. So, you know, the, a better uh, name that Nick Fury could have came, come up for Thor is Greg Fairholm. I feel like that's 
That's a much better Thor name. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and as long as we could just say, like, for three issues, somewhere around the Mutant Massacre, Thor's name was Greg Fairholm. Like, nobody would not believe us. Uh, pff, uh, let's go back and re-edit all the episodes. <laughs> There you go. So if you would like to talk more about G.I. Joe mini episodes or whatever else, uh, drop us a line at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Follow us at Danger Room Go. Email us dangerroom at redcapproductions.com. Go out to iTunes, the podcast section. Type in Danger Room with the first podcast that shows up. Uh, call us 501-GET-X-MEN, 501-438-9636. And our theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. But we're not done yet, Adam. Oh, no. We, uh, I read the, uh, I shouldn't say the best, but one of the best X-Factor issues written so far maybe even the best um, okay I'm, I'm in i'm interested i read this too i i definitely wouldn't say it was the, it definitely led me with a lot of questions most of which were does this ever get resolved oh we'll talk about that then so let me let me give you let me give you a rundown and and this is why i was so happy a couple of years back you found the hulk um annual in which what was it beast iceman and angel fight uh, and hulk fight uh master mold on the star core or whatever yeah x men or hulk annual number 7 because whenever i got to this issue whenever i would read x factor 1 through 26 which i did a lot because as as i've been known to say they're my favorites of all the x factor issues i would get to this issue and it starts off with master mold hurtling to the sky with a little footnote that says as detailed in annual or hulk annual number seven but i never was able to get my hands on hulk annual number seven and to have it tied in so tightly to the x-men universe i was like yeah, that was a payoff right there. Something I never thought mm -hmm. I'd see. So anyways, Master Mold's crashed to the Earth. Uh, the X-Factor complex is riddled with rescued mutants. Everybody's in various sorts of disrepair, pain, whatnot. And Scott has decided that he's going to head back to Alaska to find Maddie, to find out what's going on. Um, I think there's a fear that whatever happened to Gene's sister Sarah could possibly have happened to Maddie and his son, and if not, he needs to warn them or help them or do something. And so he heads out there. We get a cab ride over to the hospital for him to say goodbye to Angel and Gene, in which we see pictures of uh, Madeline, his son, and a picture of Gene that I think I think we first saw in Classic X-Men. This is, yeah, yeah. The Classic X-Men are starting to bleed into into our comics. Oh, I bet you those two issues were like written at the same time. -ish. Probably. So it's the picture of Gene laying on the beach. She's got like a soda. She's wearing a pink bikini. She's got a book. And I think Cyclops wasn't with her, though, in the Classic X-Men. Wasn't it like some weird dude? Yeah, it was... Uh... Wasn't it, wasn't it uh, Mastermind? Mm. I think you're right. I think it was Mastermind masquerading as like, I don't think it was Jason Wingard, but he was like working his way into Jason Wingard. So anyways, it's kind of curious, like why does, like Gene is like, hey, I had a really fun time at a beach. So here's a picture of me <laughs> to remember when I was at the beach and you weren't. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Anyways, uh, so yeah, and he's thinking to himself, he's, he's, he's all morose and he's just thinking about like his life and like what's happened and everything that's going on around me and Maddie hates him and he loves Gene and but they can't be together and the cab driver skids around a car and all the pictures get ruined and he makes some comparison about how his life is just like slush just like the roads outside so like he's he's emo Scott <laughs> <laughs> life is like slush everything gets wet and cold he doesn't say anything about his eyes he he's gotten over his eyes now it's just everything else. He does not. So apparently the uh, cab shows up at the hospital, and Gene is up there with Angel. And by the way, everybody at the X-Factor Complex is like, Angel's going to fly again. He's going to be fine. Ain't nothing to worry about. And we get kind of a heat, a heavy uh, back and forth between Gene uh, and Angel. And this, you said the other day, the other podcast, that, that this was angling more towards the soap opera realm. And I think this just like kicks the notch up because now we're not really so much dealing with good versus bad. We're just kind of dealing with like the kind of dramatic inter operations of these these characters that we know so well. And it's interesting, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and we get kind of like a tender moment between Angel and Gene. We get this very weird, this, this panel's always kind of bugged me where it's Angel's hand grabbing Gene's hand and her crotch. Like, he's not grabbing her crotch, but, like, we're, like, the panel's on her crotch. It's just really weird. 
Um, yeah, it's sort of strange. But it's kind of a tender moment, and, and Angel's like, oh, Candy hasn't visited me. Like, she's got to have known that, like, everything's coming down around me. I don't know what to do. Maybe, I don't know. But don't worry. If anything ever happens to me, X-Factor's taken care of. And she's like, silly, you're going to be fine. And she realizes that Scott, she looks out the window. I guess she saw the cab that Scott came up in, came and left. In the previous page, you can see Scott peering through the door, listening to them. Hmm. I don't think I've ever noticed that. He he was there, and he just saw them hold hands, and then he left. Where do you see that? Oh, wait. When he's leaving towards the ele- uh, elevator? No, the previous page, bottom panel. Oh. It's a little guy peeking through the door. I have read this comic like nine times. I've never noticed that before, but you're totally right. He's like a perv, like looking in <laughs> on these two. Um, so yeah, she realizes that she races down and she uses her telekinesis to stop the cab. It's raining, it's cold, but they don't care. She runs up and she's like, Scott, you gotta find Maddie. I ain't gonna stop you. I just want to say goodbye. And she throws her arms around him and gives him a big kiss. She telekinetically stops the car. Yeah. What did I say? I, you just jumped over that point. I thought it was important. Yeah, no, I, I, okay. Yep. I totally, totally important point. Uh, Meanwhile, in the Alaskan waters, a fish bites on Master Mold, which is apparently enough electricity to wake up Master Mold, which is weird. But the whole point behind Master Mold is that he has all of the knowledge of Stephen Lang inside of his uh, systems. Uh, He can't communicate. He can't form new thoughts, but he knows what Stephen Lang knows. uh, And he knows. He knows. He knows. You know something. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, Scott heads up to Alaska and he starts having memories of, of when he was pushed out of the airplane, when he was at the orphanage, and then memories of when he was at the house with uh, Maddie and the baby. And um, he's very upset that she changed the locks. But I mean, it's been like six months. Wouldn't you change the locks too? She changed the blasted locks. So he uses his optic beams to open it up. And that power beam is enough for Master Mold, who is a couple hundred miles away, uh, to to sense that the mutant, the one that is part of the secret. Here's another storyline that I don't know ever quite pays off. Or maybe this it is does. one of my questions. <laughs> uh, that mutant is part of the secret. He's one of the 12, one of the strong, pivotal mutant around whom others will gather. So I feel like the 12 is a storyline that comes much, much later. The, like someone maybe reread this and was like, oh, we never did that. The 12 story. Yeah, the 12, I feel like just kind of gets kind of uh, dangled in X-Men X-Factor comics every six months, every eight months. Like, it's just kind of like, whoops, remember the 12? Yep, here we go. Um, because it takes... I feel like it does get a resolution, but it takes an awful long time for anybody to get there. But this, I believe, is... Here, this is the origin of the 12. Right, so... He knows whatever Stephen Lang knows, so apparently Stephen Lang has known since, like, issue, what, like, 100 or something of the 12, but he's just, you know, taking taking this much time for us us to know the audience. So, anyways, Scott's in there, and he's like, oh, the house is empty. She's gone, just like, uh just like Gene's sister's house. And uh, so he he's going all over town. He's trying, he's looking through the records um, and nobody has any uh, recording of Madeline Pryor. He goes to the airline where his grandparents, his grandparents used to own the airline that Maddie worked at, but apparently they sold it. Somebody offered him a deal that was too good to pass up. And now Scott's grandparents are on a cruise. So rather than, I don't know, being patient and waiting for them to come back to find out what's happened or use the X-Factor copper to find the chop- or the cruise, he just assumes, I don't know. That's kind of a thin, it seems a little too convenient because then they also show, uh, they talk about like this guy, I don't know what his name is, let's call him John. Like, what about John? He was our best friend. And like, oh yeah, he, he died in a fishing accident. That, that was the guy that was hanging out with him and Madeline. Was it? The old the old guy. Oh yeah. Who was always like, oh, you kids. So he's dead. He, he, was, he died in a fishing accident. Uh, I feel like that's part of the cover-up, right? Because, I mean, spoilers, it's a cover-up is, is what's happening. All, all of the well, records... Well, it's, it's, it's all part of the cover-up, too. Presumably, whoever the cover-up did also paid Scott's grandparents and bought their company with enough money to send them on vacation. Right. Master Mold is able to repair himself out of various bits and pieces he's able to find out of the ocean, including like an oil rig. And so he reconstructs himself into giant size and he is coming. He's ready to face one of the 12. Uh, 
Scott harasses a realtor so much that she pushes the silent button that the realtor has directly to the police, which is weird. Like, I know banks have that, but I didn't think realtors had a button that went to the police, but this one does. Um, she says that Mr. Wilson himself spoke with a man named Summers. So deepening the plot, whoever whoever is a part of this is masquerading as Scott Summers. Right. Because he's like, but I'm Scott Summers. And that's when she's like, look, you got to go. Master Mold, he, I don't know where he goes to, but he, he goes to an office building that's got computers and he disintegrates everybody and he uplinks. He basically, he downloads the internet before the internet's even a thing. Does it have computers or does it have computer? <laughs> well, in this panel, it has computer. <laughs> But there's an awfully big cable he's able to find to download all this information. He, uh, it's like a printer cable. <laughs> <laughs> he is going everywhere. He breaks into a hospital and he's like, the hospital doesn't even have records of where my baby was born. And I say, like, of course the hospital doesn't have records of where your baby was born because your baby was born in the mansion. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Don't you remember, like, weren't Storm and... No. How did that work? It was X-Men, what, 199? Yeah, they were off somewhere and Madeline was by herself. And Wait, was she by herself in Alaska or was she by herself in the mansion? Oh, I don't remember. I feel like she was by herself in the mansion and then she like gave birth essentially by herself. But anyways, he claims that he that his baby was born at this hospital in Anchorage. And I don't believe it. Somebody had to be there. He can't find records, and, and then he's he's kind of getting consumed, and he starts looking for the 747 crash that Maddie escaped from, you know, without incident. And, and then he jumps to this conclusion, because as he's flipping through all of these records, on that same date, he sees the StarCore crash, the StarCore 1, and then he's like, Gene. And then he's like, oh my god, if Phoenix replaced Gene, and then Maddie replaced Phoenix, couldn't Gene have replaced Maddie? Because... All of the dates can coincide with, I think, it's September 5th. Like, everything happened on September 5th, which is, like, the day after he left and would have been the first day that he would have seen Gene. So then he's like, Phoenix wasn't Gene. Was she it? And then he thinks that Phoenix may have buried, like, the, in the way that Phoenix buried Gene at the bottom of the ocean, maybe he also hid Maddie at somewhere. Uh, he's all over the place. He, he is. Well, he... He goes back to his house and he blows it all up. He's just shooting everything. He's going crazy. And he starts seeing images of Maddie. And then Maddie turns into Phoenix, who turns into Gene, who turns into Dark Phoenix. And he's he's losing his mind. And in, as I read this and as I interpret this, he's like questioning, like, did Maddie even exist? Like, did I have a relationship with this woman? Did I have a son? Like, did any of this happen? And finally, he blows away an old radiator. And behind the radiator, the baby's rattle shows up and he's like the rattle he always threw it back there and we always we we they're real everything's real i'll find you maddie so i don't know i think that's really why i like it's the psychological uh roller coaster we go through with scott which is why i like this issue so much and then the the impending doom that master mold brings as he's heading towards alaska or to scott because in the last panel we see a couple of cops find a dead body floating in the shoreline with red hair um and they're like oh it could have been that girl that guy was looking for uh and then we see coming out of the water uh not out of the water just walking over the forest we see a giant uh, master mold who's able to now vocalize cyclops master mold knows where scott summers is and what he has to do right every time he uses his powers he's able to detect the, like every it's uh, they make a point of, of pointing that out each time Scott uses his blasting powers. Master Mold is able to detect where he where he is to the point where there's like a, a map of Anchorage that is glowing. And then I think the next issue also kind of takes the psychological uh, paranoia even further as I mean, spoilers, Cyclops is going to fight Master Mold. But I like it. I really like how it's like nothing happened in that issue, like good versus evil or traditional comic book uh, madcap uh, adventure. It was a guy like looking for his wife and questioning everything about his past. Somebody is erasing her entire existence, which is neat. Um, it's a mystery, man. Like what's happening? Why is this happening? Like this explains why we haven't heard from Madeline Pryor since issue number one of X Factor. 
it's a mystery that um, I wonder if all these threads ever get resolved. Like, like I know some of them, like the main thread obviously does. We do find out uh, what's going on, but like the, the, this, do we ever find out who the summers person is? No. Do we ever find out that who, who purchased this grandparents company? No, see, I think, I think the, the joy in, for me anyways, in these issues and the next, like really the next runs, the next, I don't know, say eight to 10 issues of both X factor and X-Men are the story setups, uh, because I think I'm not I'm not a writer, but I, I think for me anyways, coming up with the ideas is a lot more interesting than coming up with the payoffs. <laughs> so I think they had a lot of fun or a lot of creativity around creating all these mysteries and creating all these open threads. Um, but when when they start trying to pay them off, um, I feel like they fall short. But we really won't see a lot of these paid off for a while. So the body in the river, does that get resolved in the next issue? I believe it gets resolved in the pages of the X-Men. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm not going to spoil anything. Like that could be dead Madeline Pryor or maybe well. not. <laughs> Okay, but do we ever find out who it is? No, <laughs> we don't find out who this is. Okay. I mean, this is part of the cover-up. I've read the next issue of X-Men, so I know what you're talking about, but... <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, no, I don't... We don't find out that this is Judy or Sarah uh, Gray. This is, I think, part of the cover-up to, like... Actually, it doesn't make any sense if they're trying to erase all uh, traces of Madeline. Why would they put a body? <laughs> Why would they throw a body in the lake to, like... I don't know. Is it like a Stranger Things-style body? What's that? The Stranger Things style style body? I know my son. I know my son. This isn't my son. Yeah, it could be. And in fact, I think that scene actually happens in the next issue of X Factor. Aha! <laughs> I think I think Stranger Things ripped off X Factor. Those sons of bees. Anyhow, uh, I probably didn't do the summary justice, but I really like that issue and the next issue of X Factor. Well, I'm not going to do the summary of New Mutants justice either. Oh, I read the summary online. It looked like it was a snore fest. It was, it was an interesting issue. I mean, there's a lot of threads happening. So last issue we saw that, uh, was it Magma and Sunspot and Rain and Karma were trapped in Days of Future Past World? Yep. Well, the rest of the gang, minus Magic, so we have Cypher, Warlock, Mirage, Cannonball, they are trapped in another alternative future, um, or maybe it's even farther down the line from Days of Future Past. I don't think so, but I wasn't sure. Uh, where mutants and humans live in two separate uh, areas of the world. Uh, uh, they've been separated, and, and mutants are the rulers of the world. Are there sentinels? There are no sentinels because mutants are the rulers of the world. Ah, okay. So mutants live above the city in uptown, and humans live in squalor in downtown. I mean, I don't know if the rest of the world's like that. We're just in this city. Sure. It's a police state that's run by mutants um, to keep them all separated. The police dress in yellow and blue New Mutant style outfits. Okay. So all the police have like X-Men outfits. Xavier's Mansion is a landmark and the statues of the dead X-Men and New Mutants are heroes of past wars, which is why I thought maybe it was a follow-up to Days of Future Past, but I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, so Mirage and Cannonball discover uh, on a routine mission that they, uh, they're, they're getting uh, medicine for the humans because they're good people and they discover Katie Powers or Katie Power and she's an old lady and all the rest of the power pack are dead and now she has all their powers and she is wanted by the police state for doing the same thing helping the humans and they all get caught and brought before the mutants leaders who turns out to be an older Sunspot and Magma Whoa. what and Katie Power escapes and Sunspot uh, sends the younger new mutants to be brainwashed by mutant size PSIs uh, meanwhile, Magneto flashes back to the first time he used his powers when his parents were murdered by the Nazis. Uh, so there was like a, 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 a line of gun-wielding Nazis and they all shoot his parents and him, his family and they all die. But at the last second, he's able to force the bullets to miss him. Self. Okay. And then he rises up from underneath all the bodies. And I guess the Nazis are so impressed or uh, shocked that the, that's how he gets sent to Auschwitz. And then he decides, ah, but should I join the Hellfire Club? Not sure what those two things have to do with each other. But Magneto, he's been thinking about the Hellfire Club a lot lately. And this just hones in on that. Okay. But uh, interesting Nazi stuff. Yeah. We get to see we get to see Magneto's family murdered and the first use of his powers. It was, it was an all right issue. 
Wasn't a snoozer. Similar to the movie, sort of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Similar, I guess, in the fact that he was in Auschwitz. Uh, we also read Mephisto versus X-Man number three. Um, so this one was better than the last one. Uh, I especially like the part where Mephisto double bags Jean, Jean Grey and Mystic Mylar. Yes, I guess that was cute. <laughs> Definitely poking fun at comic book collectors because he's collecting souls. Right. Yeah, I, I hated this. Really? All, all of it. I, I just hated all of it. So we'll go through it pretty briefly then. Uh, he discovers that his power is shrinking and this is shown by the land crumbling. Um, the Fantastic Four uh, contact X-Factor, but X-Factor doesn't have ties with any of the people that Mephisto might be seeking next. So they reach out to the X-Men, Not that, which begs the question, why doesn't X-Factor have ties with the X-Men right now? Oh, it's because of Magneto. Yes. That's right. Yeah, it's that it's that unspoken, we don't want to talk to them because we don't understand what's going on. Right. Thing that drives comics. Yep. Um, there's a really stupid scene where Rogue trips and falls on Wolverine, but she had just been working out, so her arms are exposed, and Wolverine pops his claws. It's like, don't touch me. Yeah. Don't you know your powers? It's essentially an excuse for the reader to learn what Rogue's powers are. In case you haven't been reading X-Men, here's how Rogue's powers work. Well, everybody gets their kind of introduction uh, f- for their powers, but they really they really get on, like, everybody's like, Rogue, you can't touch us! You know what happens when you touch us? Don't you know what happens when you touch us? And the whole issue is basically about Rogue touching people. And it's like, it's so far out of the context of the X-Men comic. That's why I didn't enjoy it because it boils down to like Mephisto tricks Rogue into collecting all of the X-Men souls by absorbing their power because Rogue thinks because they've kind of shared this, this, this kiss, right? Because Rogue's like, I'm going to touch you and I'm going to absorb your powers. Mephisto's like, bring it. And she does. And he convinces her that he's weakening and she's able to see part of his mind. That's like, Oh, he's going to go after all the other X-Men. But if I can collect their, 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 their personas and whatnot, like then he won't have a shot at them. So rather than her, like going up to Wolverine and being like, Hey man, this is what's going to happen. And uh, we, we've absorbed powers before. Like this ain't no thing. Uh, they have a fight, and then Storm and her have a fight, and Psylocke and her have a fight. Like, everybody has a fight with her for her, her to steal the powers. Jeremy, there's no time for her to explain. This has happened before. Yeah, and I know it's to drive pages, and there's no time to talk, but yeah, I feel like they're a team. Like, they've been around Rogue long enough. Rogue's earned her stripes that Wolverine should be like, kid's got to know what she's doing. Take him. Take my powers. And Storm no. should be like, I'm the leader of the X-Men, but I understand that you've seen some stuff, so here you go. Well, then just imagine that's what happens. <laughs> it's not. But it turns out that it's all trickery, and, and, and Mephisto wanted Rogue to absorb all those powers so that he could play with all of the souls, because his limitation is that he can only trap one soul at a time, or, or one unclaimed soul or something. But since Rogue has captured all the souls, now he has all the souls. And the issue essentially ends with him being like, I have all of your souls! But in the next issue, it's like, oh, well, I only had him for like an hour. <laughs> Now they're all wait, 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 wait. Before we jump ahead ahead. to the next issue, uh, a couple things that are interesting. uh, No, nothing's interesting in this issue. Silak points out that she can see the beauty of Dazzler's powers because of her bionic eyes. Okay. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, uh, Mephisto steals Longshot's soul, but he has no soul. I suppose it is worth noting that this is essentially Longshot's first adventure with the X-Men outside of X-Men Annual 10. Right. So Dazzler and Longshot are on the team. Yes. So that means it happens after X-Men 214. Right. And and before 215 because the team kind of separates for a little while. And and uh, 215 starts with Longshot already being on the team. Yeah. So, I mean, it's well, like, the editors did their jobs to place these all correctly. So kudos to them. Doesn't yeah. make it a good issue. And then for some reason, he returns Wolverine's soul back to him and then says, you're just an animal. And then Wolverine's like, I'm not an animal. I'm a man. I tell you, I'm a man. Yeah. Mephisto's like, I don't want your soul. Your soul's gross. Ew. <laughs> it's, it's, I think it's just like, it seems like a parody of, of the Wolverine limited series. Yeah, it's not good. So, um, oh, and conveniently, he releases Jean Grey in the last panel, and then he says, which I can only be uh, imagine is to the audience, because he says out loud, uh, I shall I shall amuse myself with these new possessions, and fear not, these X-Men's 
These X-Men won't recall having seen the spirit of the comrade they thought dead. Who's he, who's he talking to? I don't know. I think he's talking to Chris Claremont. Yeah. Don't worry, Chris. They didn't see each other. You don't have to write that in. Like, you can still carry out your story. Everybody still thinks Gene's dead. And there's like a coloring snafu where one of the four people in his hand is Longshot, even though it should be Psylocke. Oh, I didn't even see that. Um, so to wrap it up, yes, as you said, in, in Mephisto versus Avengers number four, uh, yeah, he only has Rogue because as soon as her powers, her power uh, goes away, the other X-Men souls return to their bodies. So it's, it is kind of silly. But it turns out that he needs that ability to temporarily acquire Thor's soul so that he can uh, trick Hela, who is the one who is incringing on his power, and successfully able to have Rogue touch Thor. Uh, Mephisto is able to prove that Thor will never bend his will to anybody, and then he Hela loses his her her power over Mephisto's realm. It's a very devious and overcomplicated plan. Yeah, it is. Rogue's in like the first ten pages, just hanging out. Yep. Until she touches Thor, and then she's like, "I don't need you anymore." <laughs> and yet, none of these people are like, "Oh my gosh, we met a demon that was like the devil." <laughs> nobody, this, nobody talks about this. The X Men make a pact. As soon as they get back, they're like, "We will never speak of this again." <laughs> yeah, and so does X Factor. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Let's never talk about this again. Uh, so there you have it. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's. That's the X-Men for this week. Longshot and Dazzler, they're on the team now. Yep. Remember that. Hanging out together. All right. Well, anything else, Adam? Uh, No, no. I'm good to go. All right. Well, then until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Closed.